0: You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen
1: and Zach Kelberman. Join Bronco's Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in everybody to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented as always by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him. You love him. As your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports, he is Zach Kelberman. Zach, we had our day off. We're back in the saddle. We're going to drop some knowledge on the podcast. And we actually have quite a few things to get to today with OTAs kicking off on Tuesday. We do, but can we talk about the Broncos draft hat for a second? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I don't really like it, Chad. What do
2: you think about it? um i think it's kind of tacky i don't yeah. think they're that cool it wasn't that creative i don't know that the twin mountains in the background they smacked the broncos logo right in the middle right i don't it
1: wasn't super uh didn't pop to me to me they look like something cheesy that you'd buy off like a chinese third hand <laughs> yeah canal street yeah like just not a lot of thought and depth that went into it but you know the what's cool about it is you know you can buy it uh, piece of merch like that to commemorate the year and who knows maybe the Broncos go into there they have a the 10th overall pick they got to get a blue chipper whether it's a quarterback or not and if you get that hat you know whoever they get maybe it's Devin White maybe it's Devin Bush maybe it's Ed Oliver maybe it's quarterback whoever you put that up in your room or whatever you can wear it once in a while but you are constantly reminded of yep this was the 2019 draft hat you know that reminds me of Devin White.
2: It, just, it reminds me of a cheap logo. I, I, like the hat. I liked the hat last year, Chad. I thought that was a much better look, but I digress on the subject.
1: Yeah. If you guys want to see what that looks like, we have an article up on the website, also on our social channel, so you can go check that out. But uh, we do have a lot to get to. Many uh storylines popped out of Dove Valley between the last time we were able to talk to you and today. But first, a couple of quick matters of business. As always, a reminder to make sure you're following the show on Twitter and... It's easy to do. You can do it while you're listening to the podcast. Open up the app, Twitter, or do it on the on your browser. Find at Huddle up Pod, click the follow button, and from there you're plugged in. It's a great way to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the Huddle Up podcast in real time. And then again, we we gave some shout outs to everybody on Twitter. I think it was uh, Tuesday. You guys have done a phenomenal job just cranking out the reviews and ratings on iTunes. Some of you don't even listen on iTunes, but you take our calls to action with the utmost seriousness. You're supporting the show and you're creating or downloading Apple Podcasts just so that you can rate and review the show. And for those of you who have done that, and even if you're just, Regular listener, and you've you've d- heated the call to action. You've left a review on iTunes. Whoever has left a review, we thank you. You guys are kicking butt. Like it's really within the the realm of of happening that we can get to two hundred. Like we want to two hundred ratings and reviews on iTunes, between now and the draft. So it's really easy to do, similar to the Twitter thing. You open it up, you're logged in, you find the podcast, you scroll down to the bottom, leave a a creative review. And it doesn't have to be long-winded. You can do one or two sentences, five-star rating, boom, close it out, you're done. So take care of that. It's your call to action. Help us get to 200 ratings and reviews between now and the draft. We're sitting at about just under, I think, 130 the last time I checked.
3: Get 25% off all products at Sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at Sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME.
0: Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60 game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, Zach, so let's talk about a few things that have come out of the OTAs that kicked off on Tuesday and the first thing I want to touch on is you know this was the Broncos first chance to really come together it's not a complete team yet because the draft class and the rookie class we won't have you know that won't exist until the end of the month but this is the first opportunity for the entire new coaching staff to be merged with the veterans right and to come together and for these veterans to hear the talking points and the priorities and the philosophies of Vic Fangio and his staff for the first time. And so, as you, you know, for, first impressions are a big deal. In terms of buying in and getting excited and just moving forward, first impressions can be extremely huge. And I know you wrote an article with Von Miller talking about that. We'll get to that here in just a second. But I want to read a quote that came via Mike Cliss. Now, this was what Emmanuel Sanders told Mike Cliss. He said, uh, quote, now, this is... Or this is Cliss, I think, paraphrasing Emmanuel Sanders, but he said, "Quote, man, he did really good." This is Sanders talking about Fangio. The message was strong. It was about the team is bigger than yourself. Pretty much, leave your ego at the door. Also, talent is all good, but at the same time, if you're not technically sound, what good does it do if you're not disciplined? Close quote. That's from Emmanuel Sanders. But Zach. Off the cuff from what Sanders had to say and some of the other buzz from different players like Von Miller, what were your takeaways from the type of message Vic Fangio is presenting for the first time to the Denver Broncos? I love it. And he's
2: presenting what the Broncos have lacked for the last two years, and that's accountability. To me, it's kind of sad that he has to preach the basics of football, Chad. He has to go back to the lifeblood and and football 101, because that's how far Denver has gotten off that path. They have played incomplete football, sloppy football, unprepared football, and competent football the last two years. And he's instilling his culture, and he's undoing all of the stink from the Vance Joseph era. And I I couldn't love it more, Chad. It totally justifies why I pounded the table for Fangio in the first place. He was the only guy among the coaching candidates in this cycle that would whip the Broncos into shape. He just carries that quiet confidence. He, he commands a room just on his, his facial expressions alone, his mannerisms alone. So I couldn't have been more happy with what he's teaching, and it will pay off on the field. I mean, how many times in the last couple of years did the Broncos lose a game because of coaching? Especially in the last couple seconds. I mean, you you add that into the equation, already we're starting to see it pay off.
1: Yeah, that was one of my, you know, honestly, that's probably my biggest complaint in terms of the end result, the end product. We can get into the weeds in terms of talking about some of the little things about Vance Joseph's regime that really fell short of the mark. But at bottom, where they really fell behind the pack in terms of the AFC West and the other NFL teams in terms of incompetence, was situational football. And yes. one of the reasons why is not just because they're not great tacticians in the moment and decision makers when the pressure's on as coaches. But a lot of that, how you, how you perform and how you execute in those key situational moments is tied to all the little things. And it comes back to Vic Fangio's whole ethos of death by inches, right? If Mm -hmm. you're doing all the little things, right from the, from the word go The big things take care of themselves. And so when you're, if you are doing those little things right, talking about focusing on technique and assignment and all that stuff, keeping it simple, discipline, follow through intensity, effort, et cetera, like Von Miller talked about, then when the chips are down and you're in that key moment, you're prepared and your actions flow with, with much more uh, confidence and, and authority basically. And so that's what was lacking is the message from the get go, all the details from Vance Joseph's crew, I mean, it was incompetence at the highest level. And with Vic Fangio, like we've said before on the show, it's like having an adult back in the room. And here's one thing that I thought was interesting from Von Miller's quote. In fact, I'm going to play the quote really quick. Here's what Von Miller said about Vic Fangio's message to the team. You know,
3: technique, assignment, um, you really just keep everything simple, but it's easier said than done. You know, um, and uh, Coach Fangio, he's, he's all about that, technique, assignment. Um Intensity, effort, and um, you know I, I like that. You know he's a he's an
1: outside linebacker guru, and you know he's 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 up next with me. All right, so that's what Von Miller had to say. Zach, what are your thoughts on that?
2: I mean, th- that's what it comes down to, and that's what I'm talking about by football one on one. I mean, it, it really all comes down to coaching in the NFL. chat on game days on Sundays, and the, the Broncos were were not hurting for talent. They did not have the best offense, but on their defense alone, they had more talent than 11 wins within the last two years. Their losses were pinned on coaching, a large majority of them, and for the same reasons that he scattered in that meeting, or for the same reasons they lost. And Fangio quietly and subtly has taken multiple shots at Vance Joseph the last couple months since he's been hired. Whether it's getting more out of Von Miller or um, getting more out of the team, you know, he even said they ha- they've been slacking since the Super Bowl chat. Yeah, I mean that's a major indictment not only on the previous coaching staffs but also John Owe. So I love the fact that he has big enough cashews to come in and start talking his way and making these proclamations and really setting things straight. I, I love it so much.
1: You also wrote the article of Todd Davis talking about how he feels like, to paraphrase him, this season is going to be different for the Broncos, how excited he is to get back to work and and uh, learn the new system. But overall, it really feels like a new era is dawning in Denver, and the the players, the veterans, seem to be buying in. There's a different vibe. I mean, can you feel it? It was, it was absent last year with Vance Joseph. There's, there's just
2: a, a tide has turned. You can feel them sigh, You can feel them happy that they know they can rely on their coaches and they can rely on the scheme to put them in the right places to win, not have to win you know. despite it and, and in spite of it. So I, I, I understand that the offseason is a time for fluff, Chad. I know hope reigns supreme right now. But you, the breadcrumbs have been laid, and you can tell it's genuine. And you can tell Broncos fan, players and fans are very, very fired up.
1: Now, as we postulated on, I think it was uh, Tuesday's shows, with which we recorded Monday evening, Chris Harris indeed chose not to attend these voluntary portions of OTAs. Now, we'll we'll analyze this thing, but. I think the first thing is, what's the message? You know, we talked about the importance, Zach, on on that show on Tuesday of, you know, just setting a precedent, solidarity, you know, full show of force. Everybody's buying in, including Chris Harris, but he's not there. And obviously he has a bone to pick with the front office because he's tired of hearing his name brought up and, and talked about by John Elway in terms of an extension, and nothing's happened. I mean, Troy Rank reported a a couple of weeks back. I think it was following the combine that, you know, things were building momentum in terms of of Chris Harris. Then free agency rolled around and the Broncos signed two corners, one of which was a nickel, right? One of which was Bryce Callahan, which, you know, at that stage, alarm bells had to be going off for Chris Harris. I mean, he's probably, I'm sure, as much as excited to be playing with those guys. But for him, that's got to be an alarm bell because that's his forte. That's his specialty. So we understand why he's saying, look – I'm not you know he's not holding out but he's sending obviously a very clear message that I agree with you Chad and we literally talked about that the night before the news came out that
2: we would like the 100% attendance but if there was one player who would skip it would be Harris and I can make the case for both sides but I'm on Harris side here you're talking about an all pro all pro perennial pro bowler One of the best corners in the game, still in his prime, but nothing but a team player. He's criminally underpaid. The Broncos shelled out $54 million, $33 million in guarantees to Bryce Callahan and Kareem Jackson. And they let their one star, their homegrown stud, just rot away and and have to wait. You need to pay the guy. It, It shows some goodwill, shows some good faith. Elway did the same thing with Von Miller, and they held out, and that was nasty, and Elway eventually caved. I think in the end, he'll cave to Chris Harris Jr., but it's sending a bad message. Why not take care of your own? Even Bill Belichick will hand a player an extension every now and then. I mean, if he can do it, Elway can swallow enough pride to do it too. And I'm not even mad that Harris skipped. To me, it doesn't send a message to Vic Fangio. It sends a message to John Elway that he has no reason to be there, nothing to gain by showing up, Chad, and he's using what little leverage he still has to his advantage.
1: Yeah, and I I don't disagree at all. It does make me nervous, though, um, just because. I mean, we know if you go back in time, one of the reasons the Denver Broncos allowed Aqib Talib to uh, hit the bricks and they traded him, obviously, to L.A. was because Bradley Roby was coming up on his fifth year, and they knew they were going to pull the trigger on that. They're already paying Chris Harris, whatever it was, eight nine million bucks, and they didn't want to have thirty million, you know, allocated to the cornerback position. And yet here they are, and and they paid that you know they paid the price for choosing to scrimp a little bit at cornerback, as obviously the no fly zone died an ugly and horrible death last season with Roby falling off a cliff and the likes of Tremaine Brock just not pulling his his fair share of, of the weight. So maybe it's simply Zach John Elway's realizing that you need to be three deep there and you need to be willing to pay the price. But if you look at it, I mean, Kareem Jackson came in three years, 33 million. That's 11 million. Just using the annual average, okay, that's 11 million. Then you've got Bryce Callahan, three years, 21 million, I think it was, right? So 7 million. So there, now you're up to 18 million in annual average in two corners. Then you throw in Chris Harris, who's just under, uh, well, let's just go with his salary. So he's just under 8 million. Let's just say 8 million. And it starts to add up. You're starting to approach that $30 million number. And Chris Harris, this time around, I mean, his first—I should say, his second contract—that he got, his first big contract, but it was his second deal. He—it was a massive increase over what he was earning as a former undrafted rookie playing on a rookie contract. You know, that was a big step forward. But even he Zach, talked about how he had taken a—you a, a, know—sweetheart deal for the Broncos to stick around. It was very team friendly. All the buzz that we've heard this time around is that with the dues he's paid, contributing to a championship, four Pro Bowls, three All-Pro nods, he wants to be paid on a level commensurate with his contribution and his standing in the NFL. And what I see translation is, he's, he's not going to be willing to accept, Zach, anything less than what Kareem Jackson got. Nothing less, right? So, bare minimum, he's going to be getting $11 million, or at least asking for $11 million from the Denver Broncos. So it starts to add up. So that's what I'm worried about. Now, I don't want fans and listeners of this show to get too paranoid and go down the rabbit hole. But those are the real issues the Broncos are struggling with right now is figuring out how to prioritize this thing. And the truth is Zach, there's not going to be a resolution on Chris Harris till after the draft because the Broncos are going to do their due diligence just like in that mock draft we talked about a couple shows ago that I did on Friday, I took Rak in in the second round to hedge against the possibility that things don't go swimmingly with Chris Harris in negotiations.
2: Well, I have one solution to your problem, and that's move Kareem Jackson to safety. And then you have two corners, and you have a safety being paid, and you spread it around a little more. And that's what could be done anyway. I just think at this point, it just sets such a bad example to let Chris Harris Jr. waste away, enter a contract here, and not pay the guy. The only thing I can think of, Chad, Elway's impetus behind waiting is until April 26, day two of the draft. Chris Harris won't fetch a first-round pick, but he maybe could fetch a second-rounder. So if, not, if he's not traded by that point, he's not getting traded. I don't think it, it should happen. I don't think it should be even entertained. Um, but if I were Harris, I'd be more worried about Bryce Callahan signing than Kareem Jackson. That, to me, is you know the same type of player, same skill set, and it seems like they're grooming him to take over for him, whether now or a couple years from now.
1: And he's a Fangio guy, right? That's right. He's a, he's a devil-you-know guy. And I'm sure Fangio has the utmost respect for Chris Harris, uh, his talent, his body of work. But the guy he knows is Bryce Callahan. So when it comes to innately being able to execute the system, Callahan's ready to roll. Now, Harris is a veteran. He's been through multiple systems as a pro. It's not going to take him long to pick up the the scheme. So that's, it's not going to be an issue, but you know, you can start compounding these little issues and, and you hope it just doesn't go down that road. So with Chris Harris, I think, you know, what is this? It's going to be his ninth year in the league. So, all of which have been with the Denver Broncos. I mean, he's already bound for the ring of fame. He's in mm-hmm. that same caliber as a Demarius Thomas, as a Vaughn Miller, maybe not quite as high obviously as Vaughn, but homegrown guys who made their contribution to world championships and then all, or championship in this case and or uh, contributed at an individual level with the accolades that also make the team look good. So I think the Broncos, I mean, if they unless they want to really piss off the fan base and lose some of the guys in the locker room they need to take care of business with chris harris sooner rather than later now for what it's worth here's what von miller had to say about chris harris skipping the voluntary portion of otas i
3: mean it's uh i mean it's it's optional right this is the optional period to be here and um you know we all know what type of we all know what type of pro chris is you know on and off the football field and He's gonna be ready to go whenever he's here, and if he's not here, he's still gonna be ready to go. Um, we're talking about Strap Harris, so he he could be on Mars and he's still gonna be strap Harris. So you know, um, he's uh, going through whatever he's going through right now, and i I support him hundred percent, but when it's time to go, he's gonna be ready to go. So it's really he really, there's really not too much you can say about that. He's gonna be
1: this is ninth year coming up, and you know whatever he has to do to get ready i'm I'm for it all right. so that's how Vaughn Miller feels about Chris Harris skipping. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, Zach. Vaughn, at different points, at a different point in his career, has chosen to absent himself from the team activities when his future and his contract was in, in doubt. So, obviously, he's not going to be tripping too hard on the fact that Chris Harris has to look out for Chris Harris at this moment in time.
2: I mean, they're also super good friends, and of course, Miller's going to take his side over John Owe, who I'm sure they're not, especially after that trade rumor chat this offseason with his mom. I mean, things haven't been rocky between Miller and the Broncos' front office for a while, and they haven't been straight for a while, so I'm not surprised he's taking Harris' side. And look at it from Harris's point of view. The Broncos can give extensions to Brennan Marshall and Todd Davis, but not him. I mean, you have to—what's right is right. What's fair is fair. He's put enough doing. He deserves to be compensated, commiserate to his talent, commiserate to his production. They handed out deals in the past. They opened their checkbook this offseason. It just baffles me how they don't take care of their own in this instance.
1: Well, we'll see how it shakes out. Right now, it's voluntary. Right now, it's weight room, it's classroom. And Harris is a veteran. So, you know, you don't worry too much about the, the weight room stuff because, you, you know, he's, I'm sure he's doing his what he needs to do to stay in shape. There's no activities taking place on the grass right now. And he'll. I'd be surprised if he doesn't have a copy of Vic Fangio's playbook already anyway. So we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. But that's I think that's a pretty good summary of our view and analysis on Chris Harris not showing up to OTAs. And we still have a few other things to get to in today's show. But first, you guys, we got to pay some bills. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
0: Tune in or wherever you get your podcasts. All
1: right, Zach, so let's talk about, since we were still on the topic somewhat of Vaughn Miller, another little piece of buzz that came out that uh, I think a lot of people didn't quite pick up on is the fact that Vaughn has chosen to beef it up again. So he played, he said that last year he was playing around 238, 236 pounds, somewhere in there. And to quote him, to paraphrase, well, to quote him, he said, it's not bad. But I want to be 248 or, or 245 or 248 so he's put the weight back on and he's looking to beef up and he kind of talked about it a little bit but it basically just has to do with being able to get off blocks and and have a little bit more power a little bit you know that 10 extra pounds or whatever it might be to get off of blocks when he's rushing the passer to me it sounds more like a move in order to be a little bit more stout in the run games act.
2: Right, and also hold up, and give him a little more muscle tone. I have no problem with it, and I believe this is the weight he played at, at Super Bowl 50, so he just wants to get back to something a little more familiar. The good thing about Vaughn and why he's a future Hall of Famer is he wins with equal parts power and speed. So neither is going to be affected. This is not going to affect his game. And Vic Fangio's defense, you never know what they have planned for him. I mean, he heard talked talk moving around Bradley Chubb, having him rush from the inside, rush from Vaughn Miller's side. They're going to move Miller around too, so it's for the greater good, I feel like.
1: Here's what he said, quote, It's when you get locked up with an offensive lineman and where you're able to go with that. At 235, you can go a certain direction with that when you're locked in with an offensive lineman. 245, you can go just a little bit further with that. At 245 is where I want to be at. It's still not much. It's only 10 pounds. It's not a lot, but I need that 10 pounds. Close quote. So... You know, I think that in this scheme with Vic Fangio's kind of 4-3 under, he's going to be playing a lot more of a strong side linebacker role like he did early in his career. And so he's going to be tasked with setting the edge probably a little bit more than he has in, in the recent two or three years. So it's probably a good thing that he's going to put on that, that extra those extra LBs. And he's proven in the past, Zach, when he was beefier and bigger, that it doesn't really sap his 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 get-off, and it doesn't really sap his his twitch and explosion.
2: Yeah, he's not a running back or a wide receiver. I mean, 10 pounds is nothing. They lose that on the field pretty much in water weight every single game. So um, I'm all for it. If he thinks, and, and Vaughn knows best and the coaching staff knows best, if they think 10 pounds can make the difference and help the Broncos win more games, I'm all for it.
1: Now let's move on and talk about Cortland Sutton, who dropped a little bit of a bomb as well on Tuesday. First of all, it's interesting because – and this was something that Mike Kliss talked about. It had occurred to me, and then I saw him tweeting about it. It was it was actually quite interesting. Normally when the team convenes for OTAs, you just like you saw on defense, the first guy they're gonna put out there, Von Miller. Probably the most famous name, the face of the, the team basically right now, but definitely the face of, of the defense. And then usually they're gonna put forward a, you know, a stud on offense like Demarius Thomas or whoever the quarterback is. This time it was Cortland Sutton and Von Miller who were made available. Now, at first glance, no big deal. But right out of the gates, Cortland Sutton's first remark was actually quite interesting where he basically revealed that he is the number one receiver in Denver in 2019. And Zach, I'll play the play the clip so that our listeners can hear the tonality. This wasn't to me... Well, let me play the clip first, and then we'll come back and... Analyze it. Here's what he said really quick.
2: Uh, it's a little different, um, you know. Coming in as a rookie, you you kind of trying to fill it out. Uh, you don't know what to expect. Uh, there, there wasn't, um, I mean, there's nothing that you can really guide guide through to say this is how I'm supposed to come into it. But you know, having a year under my belt, um, I know what to expect for myself and what my teammates expect from me. And um, I'm excited going into the season, uh, knowing that you know I'm, I'm gonna get to be the number one, and I'm gonna get all that all that all that look, all that pressure. And you know, I'm excited about that. And um, I want my team to, my teammates to look at me as you know uh, that leader and that guy is going to assume that role and take it and, and go with it as long as I possibly can
1: all right Zach so to me obviously there's the content of what he said but also the tonality at first when i when I rec- realized what he was saying I thought to myself is this just a second year receiver kind of talking about the mindset he's cultivating that you know look I'm going into this as if I'm the number one and all this I don't think that he wasn't talking in a figurative sense to me Zach. The Broncos have communicated to Cortland Sutton that the mantle has been passed. He's the number one. And I think it makes a lot of sense because, you know, you might be questioning, well, what? Did Emmanuel Sanders retire or what? But really, if you think about it, Demarius Thomas was the number one. Sutton was drafted to be his eventual replacement at the X position. And you don't know what the future holds yet for Sanders in terms of his timetable to return.
2: Yeah, and I love the confidence from Cortland Sutton. I really do. And he he's the number one possession receiver for sure on the Broncos. But from what he showed last year, Chad, I thought he was far removed from number one. I think he had a lot more work to do. And this is a guy who was playing safety in college, so he's not even that well-seasoned yet. He's still growing exponentially. I think he's a great number two. I think he's a killer number three. But number one, that's why they kept Emmanuel around for now anyway, because that he's a true number one. He's a true game-breaker, a true lid-lifter, and Sutton is that perfect complement. So... I like the confidence. I like the where he's building with Zach Azani, the receivers coach. Um, I think he can be to that point. He can be an all Sean Jeffrey or Brandon Marshall. But to say it right now, before he's even played one game of the sophomore
1: year, uh, it's a little too uh, overconfident to me. And that's why I'm. that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's a matter of a guy being confident. I think this is a matter of the team telling him, you're the number one this year, Cortland, so... You know, you need to conduct yourself that way. Like, I really don't think it's a guy just saying, look, I'm the number one now, y'all. You know, here's my mindset. I'm going to be the best. And I don't think – I really think that this is the team telling him, you're the man, and obviously look at who they trotted out first to represent the offense. It wasn't Joe Flacco. It was Cortland Sutton. Now, mm. in that particular sense, I'm not reading into too much, but with regard to the fact that because he was one the first offensive player to face the media in 2019 – I think that does bolster the notion that, look, this isn't just a guy talking. The team is transitioning and has made it clear to him he's going to be the number one. But you brought up a good point, and I wrote about this in the article when I reported on this on Wednesday. Or, excuse me, on Tuesday. Which is that, you know what, he, as you said, when he started off the season, number three on the depth chart, he was great. He was averaging over 19 yards per catch. I mean, he was, he was phenomenal as the number three with him, DT, and Sanders. And then, of course, DT gets dealt ahead of week nine. Suddenly, he's a starter opposite of Sanders, and he still managed to hold his own. He had an uptick in reps, and you had Vance Joseph talking about his conditioning and all this and that. <laughs> well, he still managed to hold his own and p- perform as the number two. But where it really got sketchy was ahead of week 13. excuse me, I think it was after week 13, so 14, 15, 16, 17, yeah. So after week 13, after the Cincinnati game, Sanders tears his his Achilles, and now Sutton is suddenly the number one. For a full quarter of the season, the final four games, he's the number one in Denver. That's when the offense took a nosedive, went off the cliff. He had two games, Zach, in which he uh, posted two or less receptions, and he talked about that. That you know, that's one of the lessons he learned from being a number one that final quarter of the season. Is look, you can't go into a game with one and come out of it with one or two receptions. You got to be a guy that's coming away with six, seven, eight catches, week in and week out. But Zach, in order for that to happen, you want to know the biggest difference between uh, the the wherewithal or acumen of Sanders and, and Sutton. It's not wingspan. It's not the necessarily the ability to you know, win jump balls and contested balls and all that, and back shoulders. It's the fact that S- that Sanders is a prolific and accomplished route runner. And Sutton, just like you spoke to, he's still learning the whole wide receiver thing. Take that next step. That's what he needs to do. In his second year as a route runner, maybe learn a little something from Deshaun Hamilton, who's a very polished route mm. runner. And if he can get that aspect of it down and get his hands down, because there was a few times on slants especially last year where he dropped too many balls – he does have the potential to be that number one. I mean, his ceiling, Sutton, is ridiculously high, but I think the Broncos are treading into, you know, if they're really going to put all their chips on Cortland Sutton as the number one this year, it's sketchy ground because if you look back at Joe Flacco's most prolific seasons in Baltimore, he was throwing to proven veterans like Steve Smith, Anquan Boldin, Torrey uh, Smith, and so that's one of the reasons why, obviously, you're seeing the Broncos keep Emmanuel Sanders around. But I think there may be, you know, uh, remiss in this early in the process, crowning Sutton as the number one.
2: I don't think there's any doubt that they're positioning Sutton to be the star on this offense, Chad. I feel like they're they're missing out. They have FOMO after losing DT and Sanders becoming injured and being out of the picture and losing his star power. They want a receiver representing the offense. I just think this early in the process, like you just said, before the draft, not knowing how Sanders' recovery is going to go, to pin him already as the number one, it's pigeonholing themselves, Chad, unnecessarily. I just don't think you can put that pressure on the guy. Even if it's they told him in private you're going to be the number one, I would let him develop into that role. He's still not even a proven number two just yet. So um, I would let the draft play out. I would let OTAs play out, see what Sanders does. And if they can come back, I mean, regardless, Flacco loves possession receivers. He had Michael Crabtree last year. He liked throwing two. He likes the big body types. Yes. Sutton is going to have a role in this offense. He's going to be involved.
1: Right. But number one, uh, I don't know about that just yet. Well, you just, I mean, that's the whole thing is you have to be able to create separation even when the opposing defense comes into a game, game planning to take you out of it by putting their number one receiver on you, or excuse me, number one corner on you, and then putting safety help over the top, which is what they did last year is they, they the opposing team, starting with Richard Sherman in week 14 in San Fran, they played press coverage, struggled to get off the off the line of scrimmage, and then in terms of being available in the vertical game, he always had a safety over the top because there was no one else really that they feared as, as a receiver by that point. So it was just Sutton. And so as a number one, you still have to be able to win in those situations. And yeah. that's why and that's where route running comes into play. And he's just not there yet. It's still going to take time. And with receivers, and this was something that if if those of you listening tuned into the Building the Broncos episode on Wednesday, in which Benjamin Albright appeared, and Albright was talking about that with receivers, it usually takes two to two and a half years for them to really turn the corner in their development and begin to produce. And it's pretty true. I mean, you can think back to when Demarius Thomas entered the league uh in twenty ten as a first round pick, you know, granted in his case he was banged up. He was he was drafted with a foot injury, but his rookie year I think it was something like, you know, two, three hundred yards, something like that. His second year, the Tebow year, he missed a good portion of the first part of the season and then came on strong the second half, five hundred yards receiving, something like that. And then Peyton came year three and it just happened to coincide with also that that third year where they take the giant leap forward, suddenly he's putting up whatever it was, 90-some-odd catches and over 1,200 yards receiving double-digit touchdowns. Sutton, it's going to take time, just like DT did, to turn that corner, Zach. Uh, speaking to that, though, I mean, look look at the fact that he was a raw player coming out of
2: college, and then now he's already on his second offensive coordinator, his second scheme, his second quarterback. I mean, you're already delaying his progress in that sense alone. Why you would let him ace being a number two receiver, Chad? Before you even think about giving him those wide receiver one responsibilities,
1: no doubt about it. And also listening to the Building the Broncos pod on Wednesday, another thing to take away from what Albright had to say is that there's no concern apparently at Dove Valley that Emmanuel Sanders won't be available by the season opener. They fully expect him to be good to go. It sounds like the team's expectation. And you wrote about this of. Uh, few weeks back, I can't remember exactly how long ago it was now, Zach, in the offseason, but that Sanders was ahead of schedule, right, on his recovery from Achilles. Now, we got to remember that happened, it was either late November or early December when he suffered that Achilles tear, and yet the team still, according to Albright, is confident he's going to be good to go by opening week. So maybe that's just them still trying to build his trade value, but I think it's true that he's going to be good to go. So I'm not too worried about this because – Sutton can be the X while Sanders can be the Z. So, you know, it takes two. And as long as Sanders is back in time, I'm a little bit more nervous now. Like before the offseason started, Zach, I was a lot more amenable to the idea of trading Emmanuel Sanders. But now that you got Joe Flacco and it's about winning now and it's not so much about building for the future, As I mean, you still got to consider that. But we know how the Broncos are thinking. They want to win now. That's why they got Flacco. And with that in mind, I think you need to keep Emmanuel Sanders here, even if you get a really tasty trade offer, unless it's one you just simply can't refuse, like a second-round pick or even a third-round pick maybe. you got to keep Sanders around so that Flacco has a proven and accomplished veteran. Let's not forget, Emmanuel Sanders contributed to a world championship, and he has produced three thousand-yard receiving seasons as a Bronco. I mean, not only would I keep Sanders, I would add
2: more burners in the draft. In your mock chat, you had Emmanuel Hall and Penny Hart. Those are two great options, the more the merrier. They don't really have any strict burners on the roster other than Sanders, and he's coming off an injury, which saps explosiveness. Sutton and Hamilton and uh, Tim Patrick, are possession guys. They need guys who can get down the field. Brendan Langley, to me, is not that guy. So I would, you know, you can never have too many offensive weapons, especially for a quarterback like Joe Flacco, who loves throwing downfield. I would not put all my eggs in in Sanders' basket, just as I wouldn't for
1: Colton Sutton. I would add more to the fold. It's never bad to have too much competition. We'll see how it shakes out, you guys. we still got a lot left to go in terms of the offseason. We're on the home stretch in terms of the draft. We are in the month of the draft, so that's going to be here before we know it. And it's going to be really fun these remaining weeks leading up to the draft. we got a lot of cool content planned for you, not only on the website, but here on the podcast. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. As always, you guys, make sure you are following the show on Twitter. Don't forget, if you haven't done this, to leave your creative review and rate the show on iTunes. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad N. Jensen. And for those of you who are VIP subscribers of Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports, I put out the thread, the weekly thread for the VIP Mailbag for Friday's episode. Go find that. You can find it on my Twitter and the Huddle Up Podcast Twitter, or just go to the MHH Insiders Forum. You'll see the thread there. Put your questions in. Zach and I will knock each one of them down on Friday. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you then.